This is a Sandy Boy Productions podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to All Have Another Podcast with Lindsay Hine. I'm your host, Lindsay, and I'm so grateful you have joined us today. We had a great weekend in Jacksonville, Florida at the Donna Marathon weekend, and I just can't say enough about that special race and the way it supports the Donna Foundation. Get this one on your calendar for next year. That's all I'm saying. I'll be there, and I hope that you'll get it on your calendar for next year in February. Uh, All right. Well, today's episode is with Vicki Hunter. Really excited about this. Vicki is a runner and she's also an author. She has a book called Running and Returning, Seeking Balance in an Imperfect World. She was a competitive runner in her late 20s when she qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon in 1988. She went from a 350 to a 249 marathon in just 16 months. Uh, She was also in a horrific car accident while she was pregnant with her first child. She was in the hospital for six weeks and was in rehab her entire pregnancy. And we talk a lot about that experience and how it changed her life. She ended up having a healthy baby girl on her due date. And this conversation really is a story about Vicky's relationship with running and how it's changed over the years, but how it's always been something that's been really important to her. Uh, Something else that's really cool, she recently ran a 328 marathon at the age of 62. So we talk about aging and running in this conversation as well. And you know what, Vicki makes aging feel not so scary. And she brought a really comforting vibe to me, which I really appreciated. I can't wait to share this episode with you all. Uh, Now, to go check out her book, you can go to vforcepro.com. And the book, again, is called Running and Returning, Seeking Balance in an Imperfect World. Her Instagram is also Hunter. All right, friends. And don't forget, I am part of the awesome community over on Relay, patreon.com slash Relay. And we have an upcoming episode over on Relay with Laura Thweet. It'll be Kara Goucher, Peter Bromka, Mike Coe, Stephanie Flippin, Carolyn Sue, and Marcus Brown. We're all going to be talking to Laura about her training for Boston. And she's going to ask us anything about Boston in the course. And uh, I think Kara Goucher, I think she has a couple pieces of really good advice. She's done very well on that course in the past. And Laura is competing at that level that Kara competed at. So this is going to be a really interesting conversation. And for anybody else running Boston, you're going to learn a lot. We're doing a lot of Boston-related content over on Relay. For just $9 a month, you can be a part of that community. And um, also, I want to mention that I host a book club over there with Kara Goucher and Carolyn Sue. And it's been a lot of fun hosting that book club. Last month, we did a book club and Hillary Allen, who is the author of Out and Back. She's an ultra runner who has just had an amazing story of coming back after a very, very scary fall and injury at one of her races. Um, So every month we do a new book. We read a new book together and we discuss it live and people join us and it's a lot of fun. So learn more when you go to patreon.com slash relay and uh, jump in on this good stuff. All right, friends. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave us a quick rating interview on iTunes or wherever you're listening to be entered to win a pair of Gooder sunglasses. So fun. We draw a new winner every single month. All right. 
enjoy my conversation with the wonderful Vicki Hunter. Today on the podcast, we have Vicki Hunter on the show. Welcome to the show, Vicki. Thank you so much, Lindsay. It's great to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to learn more about your story, have you on the show. Um, to say you're an OG in the running community would be an understatement. You've been around for a long time running the trails and the roads. This is true. I, I started way before, you know, Garmin's and any of the tech stuff that we have now. It's, it's hard to believe yeah, how long I've been at it. Do you use the stuff now, though? You know, I do occasionally. I, it's not something I, I have to have with me, but I will admit I recently got the Garmin 245 that has the music. And yeah, I'm kind of hooked on that. I love having a watch where I can just put in my Bluetooth and listen to music without a lot of paraphernalia. Not that I listen to music every time I run, but on long runs, when I'm alone, sometimes it's nice to have that. Oh, that's so interesting to me. I actually didn't know that the Garmin did that. So do you program the music? Um, how do you program it? You have to load it. It's it's so not intuitive, is yeah. what I will tell you. But if you have a music service, you have to have some music service that's compatible. I have Amazon Music, so I just loaded. I'm figuring out how to do it. My kids had to help me first figure it out a little bit, and then now I'm learning how I can load new music, but it's not, it's not obvious. <laughs> Let's put it that way. Oh. But yeah, you can load. It's amazing. You can load all this music onto your watch. I, yeah, it blows me away. I love that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm just interested because I actually just ordered my son a, um, like a kid's Garmin and, um, you know, he's 10 and we don't want to get him a phone anytime soon, but I would really love for him to have the option to listen to music some way because he loves music and I'm trying to figure out what device makes most sense. And, you know, they don't make iPods anymore. So, um, I, you know, I think that what Apple and the phone companies want you to do is just go ahead and get the phone. But I'm like determined to figure out a better way to do it. Well, look into the Garmin 245 because right now there is a sale going on and it's not that expensive. And if your son, you know, would wear a watch and then he could load his music. I'm sure he could figure it out. Yeah, probably better than me. Right. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Um, Well, Vicki, I want to get into your story. You just wrote a book. When did the book officially come out? The book officially came out June 22nd of this past summer, 2022. And yes, I spent many years writing that book. It took you know, the an impetus for the book started way 25 years ago. Mm. So I was in a very bad car accident with my when I was pregnant with my oldest child. And I knew after I survived that and she survived it that I needed to write about it. But she's turning 25 in March. Wow. The accident happened when I, she was in my belly. So I started thinking about writing the book, you know, when she was a baby. But then I didn't really have the time to start writing it until I retired from my job teaching at the University of Colorado, which was in 2016. And that's when I started. And that brings with it a whole other story about things that happened that year. But it took about six years to get it, you know, written, published, and out in the world. So it was like birthing another baby, I will be honest. It was almost as painful and almost as 
challenging. My pregnancies were both fairly challenging just because I had complications with the first one because of the accident. And then the second one, I was I had morning sickness for both my pregnancies the entire time. Oh, awful. I know. Never went away. They tell you it's just the first trimester. No, for me, it was the entire pregnancy with both children. But yeah, you know, giving birth to this book has been just so liberating and cathartic and therapeutic and so many things. Yeah. When you said it was painful, was it painful in the sense that it was so much work to do or because of the things you were writing about? I'd say both. Yeah. Because as much as I love to write, it's still, you have to make yourself sit down and, you know, put pen to paper. And for me, I'm kind of always running around doing so many different things that having the patience to sit down and write for hours a day was one thing that was very hard. And then the subject matters I was writing about were really difficult. One of them was my mother's depression, which was what led me to running in the, to begin with. When I was a kid, she really struggled with depression and I knew I didn't want to be like that. And the first time I went for a run, like I'm talking a mile, I felt something that just gave me the idea that I didn't have to be following her footsteps. I knew that there were other answers to finding, I mean, you could call it happiness or you could call it just relief. And that running when I, I started when I was about 13 gave me the idea that I could escape that sadness in my house. So that was the start of it. But it was hard to write about her life and things that she went through and how it affected me. And then moving on to my eldest daughter who struggled with drugs in high school and how that, so that whole intergenerational piece was challenging. And it took me a while to get there because at first, all I wanted to write about was recovering from the car accident. I thought, oh, I had this miraculous recovery. I need to share with everyone how I did this. I got back to running 50 mile races after breaking almost every bone in my body. I knew I wanted to share that story. But then once I got into writing it, I had an editor who really pushed me and said, you need to be more honest. And at first I didn't, I thought, well, I'm being honest. I'm telling the story. But clearly I wasn't telling the real story. And I had to be very vulnerable and tell things about myself that were, were hard to put out in the, in the world. I was admitting to things that I don't really like about myself. Mm. So it was challenging. Yeah, that full picture that Yes. I just you know, I just saw this like Instagram story the other day and the lady was saying how like we'll never know our kids fully inside out and cuz we're not them, right? Like the only person right. you know inside out is yourself. Yeah. And, and so like to give as much of that as possible for the book must have been challenging and and um humbling, is that the right word? It is. And also, I mean, I think for me, I had this misunderstanding about being a mom. Mm. I thought my kids were going to be like me. Mm. I mean, I really had that naive assumption that I was going to give birth to these children that were going to come out of me and then somehow they'd be like me. But they're completely unique individuals to themselves. And that sounds so obvious. Mm -hmm. But when you're raising them, it's not. You just think they're thinking the way you are. And that's not the case. So I had to come to understand that 
I'm still working with that. I mean, they're adults now and they're living their own lives, but I still sometimes don't understand how they think and or what they're thinking even. So that has been you know, really revealing for me. And what's also interesting, Lindsay, is that when I was writing the story, it's really my story. It includes my mother, it includes my both my children and my husband. But when my daughters read it, they both uh, agreed to what I was putting out there. I mean, they gave me input and they told me what they didn't like and what they thought was not true or what wasn't their truth. But in the, the bottom line was they both let me know that, mom, that's your story. That's not our story. So some of the stuff in the book that is really truly about them, they'll tell me that that's not how they experienced it. Mm. And I think, wow, even that is kind of revealing because we all have, we can have memories of the same incident, but we remember it differently. So that was, it's still very interesting to me to recognize that we have different memories. And even my siblings, I have four siblings. And when I talk about our childhood, mm. and they've all read it, well, at least three of them have read it fully, they'll say, wow, I can't believe you remembered those things. Or I don't remember that. And like, oh, well, that's just, you know, how differently we perceive life, I think, as different human beings. So, Gosh, that is so true. And, you know, I have four kids and they're all so different. And sure, when you walk through one situation with one kid and, and then, you know, the same situation with another kid, like you sometimes have to handle it like completely differently. And so yes. then the third th time through or whatever number kid it is, you're like going through something new all over again. And you thought that you knew what to do and you don't. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I know. And I just have two, but I, I feel like with both of mine, we raised my husband and I, I mean, I don't think we really did much differently with each of them. Maybe we learned a little bit, maybe we were a little bit more relaxed with the second one. Mm -hmm. You know, I remember my first one, I wasn't, first of all, it was total euphoria that she was even born because yeah. of the car accident. Yeah. I mean, I have never felt euphoria like that. I mean, I think everyone feels it when their child is born, but having been through the car accident and then having a healthy baby, it was miraculous in my mind. So for there were about six weeks, almost two months afterwards, where my husband and I, I think we were just on cloud nine. Like nothing could go wrong. She could cry through the night. It just didn't matter. Oh. It really didn't. I mean, I was so happy. And when the second one was born too, I was happy, but I was also a little bit overwhelmed. Yeah. Because I already had the older one and trying to figure out how to balance all of that. It, you know, it was challenging for me, but we didn't do much differently with the second one than we did with the first one. I mean, she slept in my bed for the first year because that's just what I did with the first one. And, you know, I felt as they got older, they started showing their personalities and that maybe affected how things transpired, but it wasn't this, you know, conscious different treatment or how we behaved. It was just, this is what we did, but they still both came up very differently. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And I think that that too, I know this is the For the Running podcast and not the podcast for parents, but. Parents, yes, exactly. I, I mean, it could cross over both ways really, but like, I think that too takes pressure off us to know that like the, 
the choices that our kids make are not directly affected to the way we parented them. And that kind of takes some pressure off because there's so many things that feel really high stakes with if I do this or that, how will XYZ turn out? And so if we like relieve ourselves of that burden, it will probably be better parents. I absolutely think so. And, you know, I mean, getting back to the running piece, even the pregnancies were, you know, I tried to be the same. I was the same person. I had the car accident in the first pregnancy, which really altered how that pregnancy developed. But up until the car accident, which happened in 14 weeks, I was still doing everything I normally do. I was still running. I was still swimming, still working. And I still to this day don't know the car accident happened. And I don't take, I, I mean, there is a, I will admit there's a certain amount of guilt. I will probably always feel about mm-hmm. that car accident happening because yeah. it happened to me and Jade mm-hmm. and I have to take responsibility. I was the one driving the car, mm-hmm. but I don't know that it happened because I was keeping up such a busy lifestyle. Sure. But when I reflect on it, that was my lesson. I had to learn to let go a little bit. It took me many more years to let go. And I still feel like I'm driven in a way that is part of my personality. With the second pregnancy, because I was healthy and I was managing things a little bit better, but I still, I worked out through that pregnancy. I did a triathlon, mini triathlon when I was seven and a half months pregnant. Mm -hmm. This is 23 years ago. Yeah. People weren't, you weren't seeing pregnant women doing that. Yeah. Now you do. I mean, it's really cool. I love that. But back then I was an anomaly. People were not doing it. Oh, but that was people. I thought it was so scary and dangerous. They did. And I tried not to think about that judgment because I knew what I could handle. Yeah. And so, so I just kept about doing that. And I think I had healthy, well, Besides the accident, right? I had healthy pregnancies because of that. And both kids were born very healthy. They went to term. It was no issue with that. So I think women nowadays are, there's more freedom to keep that going and not give up being active just because it's not an illness, having a baby in your belly, growing in your belly. But that's how it used to be treated. Yeah. And I think too, today it's like both views are celebrated. Like, um, I ran a lot through my first few pregnancies and my last one, I just, I could, but I just didn't want to. So I like just walked a lot, you know, like I would go for walks instead of runs. And I think either thing you do is celebrated more. Yes. It's your choice. Yeah, I agree. This episode of the podcast is supported by athletic greens and I got to tell you, I am hooked on Athletic Greens. I have been hearing about AG1 forever. That is the Athletic Greens product that is filled with 75 vitamins, minerals, and whole food sourced nutrients in one convenient daily serving. You just put one scoop in, shake it up with eight ounces of water, start your day with it, get your energy going, and it will have you feeling balanced and supported both your immune system, your digestive system. It has prebiotics, probiotics to help with your gut health. And it also provides metabolism, energy, and stress support. I wake up in the morning, I go straight to my cabinet to get my athletic greens, start my day like that. I love starting the day with a healthy habit 
putting this nutrient-dense product into my body. I'm telling you, you gotta try it. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee. And when you go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, you will get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 and five travel packs. You're gonna want those travel packs. It helps because you feel like, oh, I'm starting the day the same way I do at home, even when I'm on the go. And plus, when you're traveling, you might not get the nutrient-dense meals that you get at home. So it's that extra security blanket there as well. Like, you know you're getting those 75 vitamins and minerals in when you take your AG1 in the morning. Again, go to athleticgreens.com slash Lindsay, L-I-N-D-S-E-Y, and you will get that free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 plus five travel packs of AG1. All right, friends, back to the show. I want to dig into the car accident a little bit more because it was like severe. I mean, you were yes. in the hospital for several weeks. Six weeks. Six yes. so, weeks. So I was 14 weeks pregnant and my husband, I was still working. My husband and I drove to work separately that day and I left early in the morning. I usually left to go either swim or go to the gym or something before I went to work. So that morning I went to a master swim workout and then I went to work and then my husband and I met at a function. We live in Boulder at the Boulder theater with a bunch of our friends. And of course I was, I told you before I was having morning sickness, so Mm. nothing really was appealing to me. I was forcing myself to eat for sure, but there was no food at this event that appealed to me. And I turned to my husband at one point and I said, you know, I'm hungry. I'm tired. I need to go home. This was going on about nine o'clock at night and oh, wow. I've been out all day. Right. So he walked me in my car. It was a fall day. It wasn't bad weather or anything like that. We lived up in the mountains at the time up this windy road, but I had driven it countless times. It wasn't an issue. I wasn't worried about driving that road. He walked me in my car. I honestly have no memory from once I said goodbye to him. And then the next morning being in the waking up in the hospital. But what apparently happened is I drove home, I got to the top of our road, and my car went off the side of the road and hit a tree. It kind of spun out. But I must have fallen asleep or passed out. They said I had, you know, it was kind of uh, a something that can happen in pregnancy or when you're driving and you're tired yeah, and you just fall asleep, right? But I have no memory of what happened. I just know that wow. when I woke up, I was in the hospital. I had broken almost all my ribs on the right side of my body. I had broken my pubic bone, my sacrum. I had three skull fractures. So I had a brain injury. Wow. And yeah, and uh, many more internal injuries. So what had happened, my car just spun out and it, it went into this field. And again, the tree was there, stopped the car. And but smashed in on the whole, my whole right side. So when someone found me, I was kind of crumpled underneath the steering wheel and a helicopter came and picked me up. My husband was driving home. He said he was going to go back into the function and he left about a half hour after I did came up on this accident scene (gasps) on the road. Right. There were cars lined up. We We lived in a small community, but there were, you know, several, many houses around us. We just all had a lot of property. So everything was spread out. 
And he saw the line of vehicles, started running down the road, saw a police officer, I suppose, and he asked him what happened. And I said, well, there's this white Subaru Uh. that was in an accident. He starts running down the road, fortunately got to the helicopter before it took off and told them I was pregnant because I wasn't showing. So they had no idea I was pregnant. Yep. And so then ended up in, you know, intensive care for two and a half weeks, actually. And, you know, the biggest complications were that I had a collapsed lung. And so I was, you know, I couldn't breathe on my own for a few days. So I was on a respirator. And that was really one of the toughest things to come back from because as a marathon, I was a marathon runner. And they had me breathing into this tube. And I had to push the ball up to the top of the tube. I couldn't do it. I could not do this. And I got so frustrated. Also, the brain injury complicated that frustration. I mean, I couldn't think clearly. For a couple of weeks, I couldn't see clearly. I couldn't hear. So there were a lot of things that made it very, very challenging. But after two and a half weeks, they sent me to a rehab hospital in Boulder, and which is where I requested to go because it had a warm water therapy pool. And I had, I knew I had to be in the water to recover. That was the only way my body was going to come back because I had been using hydrotherapy for years just to come back from injuries. So I knew intuitively, even though the doctors didn't agree to that at first, they weren't going to let me go to this particular rehab place. But I fought for that. And I'm convinced to this day, it's why my recovery was as smooth as it was. I mean, I had, again, the bones took a while to heal. The brain injury took a few months, but I ended up having my daughter on her due date. Wow. Which was pretty spectacular. Yeah. It's a miracle that she, you didn't lose her. Oh, absolutely a miracle. That's partly, wild. it is wild. And the doctor said, you know, partly it was, she was so small at 14 weeks, like she was no more than a finger, right? Yeah. So she was little. And what it was interesting, the doctors told us later, or they told my husband, I mean, at the time when I was in the hospital, I was working just to survive. Yeah. I mean, so everything else was just a blur. But they did tell him that because of the amniotic fluid, it's just so protective. I mean, it's really amazing that the body is such an amazing thing and how things work. So the amniotic fluid is just this incredibly protective mechanism to keep that baby alive. Wow. So even when something traumatic like that happens, so she was pretty protected. Now, if I had been eight months pregnant, I don't know that she would have survived. But at 14 weeks, she was small enough. And yeah, so... Yes, total miracle baby. And that's what we started calling her when I was in the hospital, miracle baby, until we came up with the name Jade, which when I started researching it, I found the name in a back of a like pregnancy book. The author's daughter's name was Jade. And I thought, I love that name. And I started looking it up. And it means in Chinese thought, it means protection from accident. Wow. Right. When I saw that, I thought that's her name. There was no question. Yeah. Yeah. That vision of your husband running Mm. to and telling them, like, I can't even imagine the frantic feeling he must have had, like relaying the message to them that you were pregnant. Yes, I know. It was very hard for him. In fact, when he read the book Mm. and my telling of that, it was really hard for him. 
Yeah. Because he, he went back in time and kind of relived it. And that was very challenging for him. So you guys have been married a really long time. Pretty long time. We've been together 27 years. Okay. And yeah, married. We got pregnant very quickly because I would met when I met him, I was in my early 30s. Okay. He was actually already married. And I had a big crush on him until I found out he was married. And then I said, okay, I need to get my mind off, off of this guy because <laughs> it's not going to happen. And then he and his wife, his first wife got divorced and he and I started dating pretty quickly. And I was 35 at that time. And I wasn't going to mess around. I told him pretty yeah. early on that, Hey, I want to have kids. You know, if this isn't going to go in that direction, I need to move on. And he was like, no, I'm, I'm all in. And we got engaged. We were I think, dating for about six months when we got engaged. I was pregnant a month after we got married. I mean, mm. we started trying right away. And yeah, I got pregnant pretty quickly. Wow. So I had Jade. I had Jade when I was 37. Okay. And then, yeah, I mean, an accident transpired within that year. And yes, um, well, a and, lot. and so uh, let's educate the listeners a little bit about your history with running because you qualified for the Olympic trials in 1988. I yeah. Yeah, I um, did. Totally different scene of running then. Oh, totally different scene. And, you know, I didn't grow up like many of your guests or unlike many of your guests. I did not grow up running in high school competitively. I was a lacrosse player, tennis player, basketball player in, in high school. And I was running starting at a young age, but running was my private thing. Mm. I did it for myself. I did it to get out of my house. So I started running in my teens and I would literally get up before school and go out the door. My mom was still sleeping and I'd kind of basically sneak out the house because she hated my running. Mm. She hated that I ran. Hmm. She didn't. And there were many reasons for that, but she thought it was unhealthy. You know, back in the day, this is the early seventies. She thought it was an unhealthy thing for a young girl to be doing. She thought that I got too thin at one point. She also was not active herself. So I think there was some element of she didn't understand it. Mm -hmm. But I was sneaking out, literally sneaking out of the house, not to go out on dates, but to go run. How did you find it, though? Like, how did you realize that you needed that? You know, so interesting. I think part of it is it was the early 70s. So Frank Shorter, mm. as we all know, kind of the father of distance running in our country, when he won the gold medal in 1972, it was like, the, you know, the alarm went off in America, mostly for men. But my father started the, in the jogging craze. Mm. And I idolized my father at this time. And I remember going with running with him a couple times. And thinking, well, this is cool. I mean, and I, it came very easy to me. I mean, distance running just, I was, I don't know why, but I was pretty natural at it from that early time. And then I remember my older sister, one of my older sisters came home from college one time and she was just trying to get in shape. And she went to the track and she said, do you want to go with me? And I thought, sure, I'll go with you. And I got an encouraging nod from a guy who was running on the track and he said you know you'd be a good marathon runner I didn't even know what a marathon was at this point. I really <laughs> how old didn't. were you I mean I was only I think I was about 13 or 14 oh, okay when that happened yeah so I I really didn't know what that was but I thought all right 
this is fun. It's I can't even believe that I felt it was fun, but I loved moving in lacrosse. I was the one who always wanted to run more like after practice, before practice, I was the one running around the field 10 more times uh-huh. and all my friends thought I was nuts. Uh-huh. So it just came to me very easily in that, that part of it. So then I just kept running for my own sanity and my own feeling of well-being. But it wasn't until my 20s when lacrosse, I no longer had that as a competitive outlet, outlet that I started jumping in a few 10Ks. I moved to Hawaii after graduating from college. Okay. And I, and I moved to Oahu, and I found out about the Honolulu Marathon, and I thought, well, I'm going to try it. And I joined you know, a local running group, and we were starting to do longer and longer runs. And the Honolulu Marathon in 1984 was my first marathon. I ran 409. I was mm. just lucky to finish. Mm-hmm. I was struggling with some injuries. And honestly, I never thought of myself as a good runner. It was just something I did for myself. But then fast forward a year or two, I moved to Boulder to go to graduate school, study political science. And well, Boulder, you know, there's all these professional runners there. And this mm-hmm. is true even in the mid 80s there were a lot of runners living there somehow I met all of them <laughs> and I thought well this is cool what they're doing and I also met the massage therapist who was working with all of these guys Rob DiCastello, Lorraine Mahler, Rosa Moda and I started dating this massage therapist and he somehow convinced me to try and qualify for the Olympic trials again I didn't even know there was something all the Olympic trials. Uh-huh. I had no idea. And of course, it was only going to be the second one. 84 was the first, 88 was the second. That's crazy to me. When you say that, like, I know that fact, but like, that's, that's so crazy to me that it would only be the second. Right. So, and again, that was something I didn't really know. I started finding out more information about all this. And I knew Joan Benoit. Joan Benoit was one of my like heroes. Yeah. I looked up to her so much and I knew she had won the gold medal in 84, but I knew nothing about the trials system and how that's how athletes were chosen. And when he said to me, why don't you try and qualify? I said, well, all right, but what's the time? And he said, you have to run under 250. And I'm like, 250? I've only (laughs) run a 409 marathon. Like, why do you think I can do this? But it's so interesting. I didn't question him. I I just started training and thought, all right, I'm going to try and do this. And I did have all these role models to learn from. And I just started building up my mileage. I got up to 130 miles a week. Wow. Yeah. I only did that. It was a lot. And again, it was just following the linear method of training, which is what all these athletes were doing. I didn't know it was called that at the time. I found that out later. And I really didn't even know who Arthur Livier was until much later. But... I started training like that. And once I got that base and then started doing some speed work, my time started dropping dramatically. And Lindsay, it felt like magic because Mm -hmm. I wasn't efforting more. I was just doing the same workouts, but my times were just dropping and dropping and dropping. But still, when I went to Twin Cities in 1987 to try and qualify, I had no idea what I could do. Because up until that point, my 10K PR was only about 41 minutes. Okay. So, which, which was would not put you at, I mean, Yeah, that would put you at like a 315 marathon or 320 or exactly. something. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. 
And yet I was able to run 249 at that marathon. And then I went on to run Pittsburgh Olympic trials in 88. I ran 252, which okay. put me right smack in the middle of that group. Uh, you know, I was about 101st, I think, in the trials of about 200, over 200 women. But for me, that was still miraculous, like that I could even compete at that level. I still didn't think of myself as anything other than an average runner. Yeah. But I started doing well in local runs and I was winning some local races and that was fun. But at a certain point, I realized my marathon time was not going to drop. I ran a few 250-ish marathons. And then I switched to ultra run. And my first big ultra run was the Pikes Peak Marathon. And then that became the thing that I was just addicted to. I did the Pikes Peak Marathon 12 times. And I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it goes to the top of Pikes Peak, which is a 14,000 foot mm. mountain in Colorado. So you run up from the base. Wow. And then you run back down. And it's, it's quite an iconic ultra ultra marathon and it's way more it takes way more effort and time than a typical marathon does but I did that for years and I did quite well I became very competitive in ultra running and that became something that kind of defined me mm -hmm. and so I switched my identity I didn't run another road marathon after 1992 until 2018 mm -hmm. when I kind of decided oh you know, I'm going to turn 60 in a couple of years. I want to see what I can do and started running. Now I've run a road marathon for the last few years and actually ended up qualifying for Boston and ran the 2021 version and was able to run 330 at that race at 60 years old. Wow. So what did that place do? You had to place pretty high in your age group. I placed fourth. Fourth. Yeah. Okay. Placed fourth. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So that's the tra trajectory of my running career with a few little blips in there, which I kind of hopped over. Some major injuries yeah. during the road. A quick break to let you know about Prevenex. This is where I get all of my vitamins and supplements, and they're clinically effective, proven to help with longevity, performance, and everyday health. They have a wonderful protein powder. They're Neurofi Plus chocolate and vanilla. We use it every day in my house. I use it. My kids use it. We make smoothies with it. It is delicious and it is packed with nutrients. I take their multivitamins and their joint health plus supplement every day. If you have achy joints and you're looking to protect your joints, go check it out. They have a money back guarantee. If you do not see a difference in 90 days, you will get your money back. They believe in their products. I believe in their products. They also have vitamins for your kids that my kids take and they have a give back model. So they donate a bottle of children's vitamins to malnourished kids around the world for every purchase that you make. So it's just a great company with high quality ingredients that work. Go to Prevenex.com, use the code ANOTHER for 15% off your first order. And when you support a sponsor of this podcast, you are also supporting this podcast and the work that I do and the people that work behind the show. So for that, I thank you. And you'll get really good products as well. So that's Prevenex.com. Use the code ANOTHER to get 15% off your order. All right, back to the show. Well, 
I guess what I think a lot of people could benefit hearing about is you talking about the process of finding yourself as an athlete again after that major car accident and you know then also like throughout that process not only were you recovering from the car accident then you gave birth and you have the whole postpartum situation which I'm sure you were still doing injury recovery at that point and surgeries and things yes. and also the surgeries you had to have after your car accident what does that look like when you're pregnant well, so here's what's interesting. I had no surgeries after the car accident. Oh, okay. So, yeah, they, one, because I was pregnant, there was nothing they could do. That's what I was wondering, because so, they can't put you under. Yes. Okay. They can't put me under. And so what happened, and I don't know what they would have done had I not been pregnant. I mean, they might have done some surgeries to to get the ribs to mm. heal more flush, because what ended up happening is the ribs just, they did come back together. They knitted back together, but not in the way a normal rib cage would. Mm -hmm. So if you look at my, the right side of my body now, my ribs all look like X's. They're not flush on that mm. side. So that's just the way they healed. Mm. And for years afterwards, I had this aching pain at the top of my right rib cage, right about the scapula area. It just didn't go away. Mm. And as much therapy as I did and massage that I would get, it just would end up by the end of the day, it would be very achy. And mm -hmm. I just thought, oh, I'm going to have to live with that for the rest of my life. Mm. But in 2014, I was introduced to something called foundation training, which is something I now teach. And it's a postural alignment program. And it can be just preventative. It can be performance oriented. It can be if you have injuries that you're trying to overcome or just plain pain. And it's developed by a chiropractor named Eric Goodman, who was in chiropractic school and he suffered from back pain himself. And he just started doing some research and figuring out exercises and a protocol for helping people deal with pain. Well, when I was introduced to it in 2014, I was still dealing with this scapula pain wow. on my right side. And once I learned this protocol, it took a little while, but it ultimately that pain that I was dealing with on a daily basis went away. And I thought, well, I have to learn how to teach this because I just was sold on how much it helped me and I wanted to help other people. Mm -hmm. So then, so in the meantime, I've just been, my husband and I got back to running 50 mile races. You know, when our kids were young, we would take them everywhere with us to go running races. And I had I was suffering from some injuries because I had many imbalances, but I just kind of cowered my way through. Mm -hmm. I don't know that I, I can't recommend the method that <laughs> I was using when my kids were young because I wasn't willing to take the time yeah. away from training. You know, all my time went into being with my kids, working or running. Yeah. You know, there wasn't any room for really anything else. And I did, I swam, I always cross trained. So I did some of that, but it all kind of had the same purpose of, I don't know, relieving my anxiety and getting to the next race. That was what I was thinking about. But when I got into learning about foundation training and then I was getting close to retirement and I thought, well, I want to start thinking about what my next career is going to be. And I had been doing some run coaching and so, well, this would be a, a nice segue. And so I got trained to teach foundation training while I was still teaching at the university. 
But at the same time, I'm still running like a mad woman mm-hmm. and doing all these races. And I still have two fairly young kids. I mean, they were teenagers. They were young teenagers, but they were still, you know, taking a lot of my time. Well, in 2016, when I decided to retire from teaching, my mother also passed away that year. I'm sorry. And thank you. And I mean, she was 85, but she, her, the last few years, she was not that healthy. So I was dealing with the grief of her death. My dad had passed away in 2014. I was dealing with that as well. And then we found out in 2016 that my oldest daughter was having a drug problem. And she was using a lot of different things. And Lindsay, it was like having, you know, something ripped from your soul. It just was the hardest thing. I knew as a teenager she was experimenting, but I had no idea the depth of it. Mm. And so we started helping her. I mean, she went into some treatment uh, in a hospital and we then brought her home and we did basically a sobriety program at home for her. And she was doing really well. By the end of her high school, when she graduated high school, she was sober and she was doing really well. But in the meantime, had I stopped what I was doing? No, I was head on with my same busy schedule, still running like crazy. And I went right into that summer after my mother passed away, dealing with my daughter's drug addiction. And I was still running like crazy. And by the end of that summer, I had, you know, the wall, I hit the wall, basically. Mm-hmm. I hit the wall and I was on a trail running a venture with my niece. I fell and I broke my arm in half. And that was one of the surgeries I talk about in my book because literally my arm broke in half and I had to have it put it back together. And it was full stop for me. I had to really think about what was going on in my life that caused me, this wasn't even a race. We were just out running for fun. Yeah. But I was so intent on running a fast time on this particular loop and not paying attention to my surroundings. And I I tripped over like a pebble. It wasn't even something big, but I landed on a boulder and then I had to have a major reconstruction of my arm. So that surgery was kind of what put me, it was a wake up call and it made me realize I needed to really think about how I was living my life and what message I wanted to send. I'd already started writing my book. Okay. But it forced me to go back and really look at myself and choices I had made in my life and how I wanted to proceed. And so it changed the trajectory of the book because it went from just being this how to recover from a major car accident and come back to your, you know, an active lifestyle to thinking about why we do the things we do, why we choose to maybe keep pushing through life without really noticing what the important things are, taking time to slow down and just notice. So for me, that was, I was someone who was just running through life and running away from pain and I think not really taking notice of some messages that were being sent to me. I was just ignoring some things mm. and I needed to get back on track. So, wow. So, yeah. 
I mean, I want to ask what's the lesson there, but you kind of just explained it. But I guess when you reflect back on your life, it's like we don't want to be like, what would I do differently or what would I change? Because like we've landed where we are right? because of those choices. But like what is your message from realizing like I was using running to like plow through all these really hard things I was walking through because we don't want to take running away. But is is there some sort of like balance in that? Well, I think that's, that's the whole message of my book is that, you know, the, the subtitle is seeking balance in an imperfect world, because I think we live in an imperfect world, being in a human body, mm-hmm. living on this planet, mm-hmm. having relationships, parenting, being a spouse. Those are hard things. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're constantly trying to run away from just even acknowledging that life is hard, I think sometimes we just want to pretend oh, this is no big deal. You know, we have challenges and that's just, it is part of life. But just giving yourself credit for doing these hard things. And I think parenting is probably one of the hardest, well, it is the hardest thing Mm -hmm. that I've done in my life. It's way harder than running a marathon. Mm -hmm. I mean, give me a marathon any day (laughs) versus, you know, trying to help your kids navigate life. Yeah. And when my kids were little and every stage is different, right? But when my kids were little, I... I was not, I know there's some moms out there and, and dads too, who love that stage when the kids are, are really young. And that for me, that was not the best time. I really struggled with being the mom to the little kid, the drudgery of the every day when kids are little, because it's the sameness, right? And you're just constantly meeting their physical needs. Constantly wiping a butt. Constantly tying a shoe yes. and tying a shoe and yes. tying a shoe. <laughs> yes. And that was challenging for me. And at the time I was living in the mountains and I was pretty isolated. So there were days where I was home alone with my kids and that was really hard for me. And running was my salvation. And I would never give that up. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it really did save me. But I think I was so, I had, I suffered from anxiety, which mm-hmm. I got from my mother and, and probably my father too. And so I had to, running was the one thing that settled me, but it never was enough. Mm-hmm. You know, I still kind of went back to that same drudgery. So I think sometimes it's just us giving ourselves a break, that life can be hard. Asking for help is one thing that I think a lot of people need to do. But I know I wasn't going to ask for help. I was used to doing everything for myself. I was in my late 30s when I was parenting my young children. To that point, I had done everything for myself. So it was hard for me to ask for help. So that was one thing. And my mother, we didn't have any in-laws nearby us to kind of take over some of the parenting stuff. We had no real family nearby to help us. So it was just me and my husband really trying to parent our young children. The other message I think that I've learned for myself is just to be kinder. I think for me, racing became this way to prove myself. And when I was doing well in racing and, and winning, before this is before I had children, it became kind of a, a validating piece of who I was. Well, then you have children, and you just have to let go of that to a certain degree. And, of course, the accident forced me to let go of it. When I came back to running, the first few times I could even run, but then let alone race, I was just thankful to be out there. 
But once I recovered, and I'll be honest, it happened quicker than I thought it would. I started doing well again. I started placing in my age group in trail races. And this was my kids were pretty young. And again, it was like a drug. Mm. I needed that. I almost was living for that feeling. Mm-hmm. It gave me a high that I wanted repeatedly. But as you know, it goes away as quickly as it comes. So you do well in a race, you get on the podium. But then that fleeting moment of happiness that you get from that is gone. And so what else are you going to do? Are you going to go run another race? Well, that's what I was doing because I wanted that high again. Mm -hmm. And now I've learned that I have to find that another way. Like, not that I'm not racing now. I am. And it still gives me that pleasure and that feeling of satisfaction. But it's not the only place where I feel good about myself. And I have other things that I enjoy. And, you know, for me, I find... I have a breathing practice mm. that I do that makes me feel really peaceful mm-hmm. and do you do it settles every day? me. I do it every day. How long does it take? And it's just a few minutes. I, I spend like three minutes in the morning just doing some deep breathing. Mm. And I do it while actually while I'm measuring my heart rate variability, which I also do every morning because it tells me where my nervous system is at. So I try to settle myself first thing in the morning and I notice where I'm at. And if my nervous system is out of whack, meaning either I'm too far in my sympathetic system or too far in my parasympathetic system, meaning I'm either overtired or overtraining, which I try not to get to those places. I try to really stay balanced. I will change my plan for the day. So Mm -hmm. if I had a run plan and my nervous system is saying, ah, you know, you're not that's not a good thing to do today. I will change my plan. And I just take more rest days. I, I do a lot more cross training. I've always been a cross trainer because I was, again, I was a multi-sport athlete in high school. So that was very natural for me to always do different things. But now, you know, a regular day for me, I don't run every day, but my husband and I, we play pickleball. Mm. We go swimming. Like after this, I'm going to go swim at the pool down in in downtown Kona because I don't want to run today. Are you in Hawaii now? Yes. Oh, that makes sense because of the video. You, yeah, you're taking off. I'm like, Oh, I guess you wouldn't be wearing that in Boulder and look like the windows were open. (laughs) The windows are open. The breeze is running through my, our condo. And yeah, it's beautiful. What are you guys there just for the winter or are you, do you split your time there? We're splitting our time now. We are six months in Kona, six months in Boulder. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It is amazing. And I am thankful every single day. Oh. Yeah, it's it's fabulous. What where else are you finding that joy and that pleasure? You know, spending time with my kids when I can. I love being with them. Our youngest daughter came and visited a few weeks ago. The older ones coming. So Jesse was here a few weeks ago. Jade is coming in March. And so, and when we're in Boulder, we try and spend as much time with them as we can. Um, You know, just going for walks. I love to walk. I love to hike, spend time with my husband, being with friends, reading. I love, I'm a big reader. I'm a voracious reader. I always have a book going. Mm. And just like, I don't know. Well, the other thing that I'm, 
I love to do is I love to teach. Mm. So foundation training, I offer, now I'm offering a class to my pickleball club. I do that once a week. And I do that because I love to do it. Mm -hmm. And I love sharing, you know, my journey out of pain. I love sharing that with people and how I'm staying pain-free now, which is a, a very conscious model of listening to my body and doing things that serve it rather than hurt it, mm. which I just came up with that little phrase, which I kind of like it. that. I love it. Yeah, because, because I think I used to try and I've never been someone to run through injuries, but I would run through pain. Like if something hurt, I needed to get out there to run. And now I will not run through pain. I just, I won't do it. So if something's hurting, I just do other things until I can figure out why it's hurting and, and shift the model. But with foundation training, I have to tell you, very rarely do I have anything that lingers because it's a way to correct your imbalances. And because now I've been teaching it for eight years, I kind of have this sense of how to fix my body mm-hmm. besides going for lots of modalities. I mean, I, I go for massage, you know, I get massage therapy, I get chiropractic work, I get cranial sacral work. I make sure I do hydrotherapy, meaning swimming or water running every day I get in the water. Mm. So that's, that's a given. And it might be for 10 minutes, but I do some sort of water therapy every day. This is kind of a weird question, but uh, I think about like age a lot for some reason. It's to an annoying extent for myself and maybe my listeners, but um, how are you dealing with like aging? You know, like if you break your life up into three acts and you're in your third act, like how do you process that? So it's interesting because I think when I was younger, in my twenties and thirties, I don't think I thought about aging much. I mean, I was just doing what I was doing. And again, I was on such a, treadmill of activity in my 20s and 30s that I didn't even have time to contemplate aging. You know, I was getting my PhD. I was training to compete in ultra marathons and marathons. And so to me, it wasn't even, I almost felt like I was maybe defying age. I thought that, I mean, obviously I wasn't, but I thought I was defying age. And so I do break up my life into three sections right now. It's for me, it's pre-accident, mm. so pre-car accident, when I was kind of oblivious to really the passing of time, and I was just trying to get so much done and, and so pack so much in that I wasn't thinking about that. And then the accident really put a full stop to that, and I kind of had to do a reassessment. And when I was in the hospital, I actually told myself, I said, if I never run again, if I have a healthy baby, mm. it'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And I told myself that, but it wasn't true because as soon as I could run again, I started running again. And I got back on that same kind of treadmill of trying to do a lot, not only in a day, but in a week and a month and a year, I was just trying to cram so much in. And so then the next phase of my life was really up until 2016, which 2016 is a year that kind of changed everything for me. Mm. It was the year that I had to figure some things out. So then I, think about my life now since 2016. Mm -hmm. And I'm at so much more peace 
and so much more acceptance with where I am that the aging process, it just doesn't feel, it's obviously happening. Yeah. But I'm thinking about it more on a daily basis. I'm doing what my body wants mm. rather than what my brain thinks I need to do. Mm-hmm. So I assess every day how I feel. And then I do what feels joyous to me. So I spend time and obviously running still brings me a ton of joy. So I'm still running. But if my body says, oh, today's not a good day to run because you're tired. I don't. Mm -hmm. And then I'm playing pickleball, which honestly is one of the funnest things I do. And my husband and I can both do that together, which is really fun because he can't really run anymore. His knees have kind of given out on him. So he can't do distance running. He can still hike with me and that's fun. But we go play pickleball and I'm telling you, we play with ages from 12 to 80. So fun. It's so fun. And so to me, when I think about that, it makes me realize that really age is in our minds. Because if we keep doing things that bring us joy, it's not that we slow down. I mean, the physical process is going to happen. But if we stay young in our in our minds and in our the activities we choose to pursue, then I think we stay young. Mm, I love that. So that's so that's kind of how I'm treating my life right now. And admittedly, I am so lucky. The fact that Brian and I get to spend half our year in Hawaii and half the year in Colorado, we get to do all these fun things with fun people being great weather most of the time, I realize we have it pretty, pretty good. <laughs> How'd you land with Hawaii being the place? I know you mentioned you lived there briefly after college. Yes. So after college, I moved to Oahu and I lived there for almost two years. And when I was pursuing going to grad school, I really thought that I would go to grad school and come back to Hawaii because mm-hmm. I wanted, I knew then that I wanted to live there. Mm-hmm. I loved everything about it. I loved the ocean. I loved the climate. But then I fell in love with the mountains of Colorado. So, and then life happened, children happened. And in about 20, I want to say 2010, I started thinking winter was becoming hard for me. I didn't love the cold. I mean, we skied with our kids and I loved to cross. I did like to cross country ski and I still like cross country skiing, but the Cold was just wearing on me. So I started talking to my husband. I just put the little bug in his ear. I said, you know, we need to find a place to go in the winter that's going to be warmer when the kids are a little bit older. So we just started thinking about it. And when our kids graduated high school, we started thinking about it really seriously. And we looked at several different places. We thought about Southern California. We thought about maybe Arizona because it's, it's warm. But then we took our kids on a couple trips and we went to Kauai. And we came to the Big Island. And when we came to the Big Island, I was here two days and I just knew this was where it was. It just had such, it had everything I wanted. It has variety. A few of our friends had moved here from from Colorado and they were doing kind of the part-time thing. So that was appealing. And we both just loved it. I mean, I just think it was kind of, we knew we wanted to be someplace warm And coming here was a good compromise because I could have lived in someplace like Costa Rica that's super warm, but for my husband, that's too, too warm. Mm -hmm. 
So here I'll tell you in wintertime, like when I wake up in the morning now, I put on my flannel pajamas because it's still a little chilly. Oh, really? But yeah. I mean, it gets a little cool in the mornings uh-huh. and at night, but then during the day, it's pretty much 80 every day. Oh, so, so good. And you say the big <laughs> island. So is the big island, is Kona in the big island or is Kona yes. the big island? So Kona is a city or, I mean, it's not even a city. It's a town, more of a town in, on the big island. Okay. okay. You have, so Hilo and Kona are kind of the two major cities that people can fly into. Okay. And we live on the Kona side, which is the drier side. Okay. Hilo is the, the main forest side. Okay. Yeah. And so the big island of Hawaii, when people say Hawaii, it's the state of Hawaii, but yeah. it's also the big island, Hawaii. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh, we've been talking about taking a trip with our kids there eventually. And so I'm like, I don't even know what, what, where do you start? Like, where do you go? Like what, you know, there's lots of options. And so I'll have to just talk to me. I was going to say, I'll have to talk to you about that. Absolutely. I'll give you some ideas. Um, what is something professionally or personally you would like to do that you haven't done yet? So, because I've listened to your podcast, I pretty much know these questions. I've (laughs) thought about them. Oh, so what I want to do is climb Mount Kilimanjaro. Nice. And the reason is, well, there's a few reasons. One, my nephew lives in Africa. He lives in Kenya. And he's climbed Kilimanjaro. And then Jade, my oldest daughter, uh, after high school, she did a bunch of traveling. And she went and lived with my nephew in Kenya for three months. And she got to climb Kilimanjaro. Wow. And when she got to the top, she said to me, she said, Mom, you know, we have to do this together. And I thought, yes, I want to do that with her. And I want to do it with my other daughter, Jessie. So I'd like to get us a, fa- a family trip to climb up Mount Kilimanjaro. And so that's on my bucket list. And like how cool, you know, overcoming all that you overcame together as a family with yes. your daughter and to go, you know, years later. It's almost like, don't you wish you could look that Vicky that many years ago in the eye and say, this is where, this is where you're going to be in a few years. It's going to be okay. Yes. And I, I, and that's another message I want to send to all parents. And actually, even if you don't have kids, even in your own life, if you're struggling, I do think struggle is part of human life, but that we do move through it and moving through it is the key to overcoming. Mm -hmm. You can't, you can't get around it. Yeah. You have to move through it. And so that's definitely a big message that I, and I look at my daughter and when she got to that top of that mountain and I realized what she had come through, it was mm. just life affirming. Yeah. That's for all of us. Yeah. All right. You said you were a big reader. What's the best, most recent book you've read? Okay. So I also thought about this and what's so interesting. I re- I always have a book going, but if you ask me, what I read a month ago, I can't remember. I'm the same way. But I just finished this great book last night called Black Cake. Okay. And it's on the like the bestseller list. And it's a book about women overcoming okay. hardship yes. and and people of color. And it's just amazing. It's a really good read. Okay. So that's what I just finished. I love that yeah. recommendation. Black Cake. Yes. Okay. Really good. Uh, who's someone fun, motivating, or inspiring you would like to have coffee, tea, or cocktail with? So I thought of two. Um, they're, and they're, they're kind of, well, I actually thought of many. There's so many people I would love to 
connect with and, and pick their brains. But Bruce Springsteen ah. was my idol when I was growing up. And so I would love to meet him. That would be a dream come true if I could meet Bruce Springsteen. And then the other one is Oprah Winfrey. I just, I think she's so inspiring. And yeah, if I could talk to her, that would be really cool. I love those yeah. answers. Oprah's always my answer. And I like follow Oprah on Instagram. And every time yeah. she posts these videos of all these people at her dinner table, I'm like, what would it be like to be at Oprah's dinner table? That would be so cool. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, maybe you can sneak in and get a hike with her and Gail because they're into hiking these days. Right. Well, so I'm a friend. I also follow Gail. Okay. And I'm like, oh, I just would love to be with the two of them. I don't even have to talk. I yeah. just want to hear them talking. <laughs> I feel like there'd be a lot of wisdom there. Yes, for sure. Uh, all right. Well, what's your last message to leave with our audience? Oh, I think I just want to say be kind to yourself and to others because I think the world right now, it's just a hard place. And I think if we're not, it, it has to start with ourselves. Mm -hmm. We have to love ourselves, be kind to ourselves, and then spread that out in the world. Because I see a lot of, um, I guess I'll call it unhappiness and anger and fear. And I think we just have to be nice to each other. Mm -hmm. So that's all. Yeah, I just think that's the biggest message. And I, I strive for that every day in my personal relationships. But also when I meet people out in the world, I just want to give people a smile and say, yeah, it's okay. Mm, it's okay. That's such yeah. a company comforting thing. Um, I don't know where my uh, six-year-old like came up with it, but anytime I'm like sad or stressed out, he's like, you're okay. I'm like, thanks. <laughs> like, how did you know that I needed to hear that? But he does it all the time. And it's so, it's so nice. You're okay. Well, I love that. Yeah. My, my father, he, it came from a book that he was reading when I was a kid and it was called, I'm okay. You're okay. Ah. And I just think that's brilliant. I right? love that. We're all okay. Yeah. It's going to be okay. Uh, Vicki, thank you so much. Lindsay, thank you so much. Such a pleasure. All right. Thanks for being here today. Thank you, Vicki, for coming on the show and sharing your story. Again, friends, you can find Vicki. She's the Vicki Hunter on Instagram, vforcepro.com to check out her book, Running and Returning, Seeking Balance in an Imperfect World. You can find me, I'm Lindsay Hine 626 on Instagram, at Lindsay Hine on Twitter. You can learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Thanks so much for being here. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll see you next week on I'll Have Another.